bloop. We are recording. You're listening every weekend. You're can recap of all things Ember. This is episode 36. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson, and we're here to keep you in the Ember Unloop. We're broadcasting from Hashragged HQ. It's November 23rd, and today's episode is called Easy PRs. Last week, we assigned homework. Uh, Ember Views Deep Dive with Robert Jackson and Gavin Joyce. Uh, the Intercom crew have done a, quite a few of these, and they're all pretty excellent. Uh, this one was a deep dive into Ember Views, as the title suggests, and it was really interesting to see all of the different layers of it. Basically, the view object is, or Ember View, is just like a big collection of a bunch of mixins, and Robert takes us through each individual mixin uh, one by one, and it was really interesting to see kind of how how he navigates through the source code. It's, I was similarly impressed with Yehuda Katz when he did his. Uh, you just saw like this kind of like intimate detail of where things are and and, and how they were interrelated. Uh, so I really thought that was kind of cool. Uh, some of the things that are that are a little interesting that I wouldn't have thought uh, from one of the core team members is basically some of the mixins. He was like, I don't know if I've ever used this, and like, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I liked his hate of the select helper. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, I happen to know that he's tried to rewrite that thing like three or four times uh, to varying levels of success or or however, but it always tends to be like uh, with the select the select helper, it's always like some particular use case or some backward compat thing ends up being a, a blocker. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I can totally see how all the the, the weird events they get fired because I've I've done this before. I think a lot of people have where you try to make some JavaScript library that you know lets you make like kind of mimic the effect of select boxes so you get a nicer looking one uh and all the different change events and things like that that happen especially when you're trying to do like a uh like a chosen style autocomplete drop down thing yeah it always ends up being a, a pain yeah i used uh i used chosen because i because i was like oh chosen's great this is a great uh great thing for me to use i used it on an angular project actually and uh wow yeah that was really really hard i mean chosen chosen's a fine plugin it's just it was really hard to integrate all the different pieces and there's certain things where you're like this should just work this way like it does with the select box and then you you run into all these these like edge cases that aren't immediately apparent but obviously cause cause pain and friction down the road so yeah i thought i i definitely understand the the kind of not likingness of of the select helper and there was a there was also a similar issue with the uh, the input helper that I didn't realize uh, existed. I guess uh, I've never really run into it, but it, where um, he mentions if you tried to um, use kind of you know the native uh, input tag and then put an on input helper uh, to you know call some function, then and that function triggered an update in the actual value. Uh, when Ember goes to update the value, it puts the focus at the end of the text field. Um, so they have to do some special work, but the the end result is that the solution is just use the actual you know mustaches input helper rather than using angle bracket inputs and uh, and they've basically solved this issue yeah so the interesting part about it I think you have the JS bin for that illustrates this behavior but it's super difficult to isolate because uh, your tests will pass because if you test on an empty input it'll put it at the end of the focus at the end but if you do that and you're on an empty input that's kind of the the expected behavior it's when you have like a thing with two words in it, and then you put the cursor at the space, and then press a, a letter. It'll it won't put it in where you actually have the cursor at. It'll actually put it at the end, and that's when using the native DOM API. But uh, yeah, I can imagine that being like a super headache. He he went in the in detail in the video saying it took him like three days to track it down. And after you know, once again going back to how intimately he knew that where the source code, you know, where things live in the source code, uh, three days is a long time to track down a bug like this. So 
Uh, that's pretty, that was, that was definitely really interesting. Uh, one of the other things we noticed that he kept on, as he was going through, he would notice, uh, like, uh, anytime you saw this dot apply, this, you know, arguments, uh, or whatever, he would, he would sub it out to use the, the spread operator, um, the ES6 spread operator to do the same thing. So I was thinking like if if somebody had a desire to get a lot of PRs in, you could do a PR for each time that happens and just update the entire all of Ember.js uh, to use the the spread operator instead of using apply that way. Yeah, there was also a bunch of places that he mentioned that they probably should have been calling super. Although uh, you couldn't just go into all of the places and, and call super in, inside of the function because you there are some times I think when they... Uh, try to override the entire behavior of the parent's function um, so that it wouldn't work you had to just go through and add all of them. But most of the time, especially in, in your app, they were saying every time you need to call super. Yeah. And and they, they added some interesting ways to uh, add deprecation notifications when you call when you don't call super in a function. And I thought that was pretty interesting too. Yeah, and also the um, the cases he he found a couple other places, not just in the the super, but any you know, like you were saying, anytime that you use apply uh, this or even apply null, like he replaced one where he was like, well, it really doesn't matter in this case. Um, the the goal of it was to get the arguments in, not necessarily to set the you know the context to null. You'd have to have some some you know some context of the actual problem and you know where this is used, but most of the time that's probably true. Uh, all, all in all, though, it was a really interesting and informative way kind of to dive through the, the Ember source code stuff. And I still recommend that if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, check it out. It was really fun to watch and to to see how it works. Uh, he's using, uh, just last thing, though, he is using Emacs. So, Yeah, there's that. Know. You got to get over that at first. Got to get over that Emacs hurdle. It's no big deal, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. The fuzzy use of fuzzy finders. I think Yehuda and Robert both use fuzzy finders uh, to 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 navigate pretty quickly around the source code. So I enjoyed I enjoyed seeing that and how quick that can be. So uh, all in all, this is a really cool uh, cool thing to check out. There was also a uh, a talk. this is a, this is a few weeks ago now, but the um there was another Yehuda talk that I guess I missed that was on HTML bar. So it's a deep dive with Yehuda through HTML bars. So that's also worth a, a watch if you have time. Yeah, definitely. So this afternoon, we jumped into the Ember Global Meetup just in time to catch Katie Gangler's talk on advanced testing in Ember. And it was, uh, it was pretty pretty awesome. Uh, she was using a lot of helpers and things like that that I didn't really uh, have any exposure to. So I think I learned a lot. Yeah, I, I'm a little sad that we came in so late into the uh, Global Meetup, but um, you know sometimes it just works out that way. But uh, yeah, this was a really great thing. We actually luckily got into the very beginning of this talk. And uh, some of the things that she mentioned, she she put her slides up online, which was uh, which was pretty great. Um, so I was able to to go through those as well right afterwards and kind of verify all the things that I was checking out. But she pulled really great examples from things of how to use things like a register async helper, which is a way to write your own custom async aware test helpers, which I've wanted to do many many times. And I think maybe maybe a long time ago, uh, you and I did that in Ember Weekend for something. I know we did some custom uh, helpers. They may not have been async aware, but it's really cool. Like the the, the illustration, the, the the way she walked through how to use register async helper was really, really nice. Uh, and we'll we'll try to update, back update the uh, a link to um, to the actual talks once they're released. I think they won't be uh, online or available online until, until later, but we'll try to get links out there for it. Uh, but yeah, register async helper was one of the ones that I thought was, uh, was really cool. Uh, and there were some great examples of that. And then uh, the other one was called uh, Register Waiter, the other register helper that she mentioned. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, so Chase, you want to <laughs> kind of explain the Register Waiter? 
I'm not really sure that I understand the register waiter. I mean, um, I see the way you uh, create one is it's uh, just Ember test register waiter. Um, so it looks like you can do things like, uh, in, in her case, she was waiting for uh, like a transaction from a database to finish before like allowing the test to proceed. So it seems like this is this would be useful for things like uh, you have some acceptance test that happens that actually hits a database and you know goes like full route all the way through, not just Mirage, but you know actually hits a back end, add some records, and you're going to verify that stuff, and then you want it to like you know roll back the transaction. So it seemed useful. Uh, I need to find a place that we can actually use it and uh, you know you know check it out more. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I I think uh, the the thing that made it kind of like make a little bit of sense to me was uh, the usage in Liquid Fire when it was basically saying wait until all the transitions are done before you and you do the next step, which is kind of like a more intelligent wait function because uh, the wait helper has been around for a while and uh, it's kind of like that, but it's it's like wait for specific things until this callback returns true. That's uh, definitely definitely interesting. Um, there are some other advanced testing techniques that she went over that were uh, very valuable, and I kept on I kept on putting plus one into the global meetup chat because I was just like yes yes this this this, and uh, anytime that happens, you know it's a great talk. So uh, I I definitely dug that, and she's working on a uh, a new Q unit test runner that runs the tests the Q units in a in an iframe. I want to say how how is that happening? Because I know that the the one of the problems she was dealing with was the fact that styles will bleed over. If you style body in your Ember app, your Q unit body will also change. Yeah, I, I hate that. Like, I really want to uh, to render um, the, the you know the application with all the styles, all the images, and then whenever you do it, you're like, oh wait, yeah, there goes all my Google fonts are now, you know, screwing with Q unit. So I you know I really want something like this where you can you know run the entire Ember app in an iframe, and uh, you know maybe even have multiple iframes. I was asking about that. She said that there's a library that does this, uh, some QUnit library. Oh, like to split up the uh, the test runs across multiple iframes so they run a little faster. Yeah, I mean you could potentially run you know four or five different iframes and you know kind of speed up your tests. Not that QUnit runs slow anyway. I mean, yeah. not really even sure it's necessary in a small app. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, definitely it's worth a worth a look. Uh, one of the other things that she mentioned with regard to the test runner was that it's uh, the iframe is on the on the right hand side. So if you have anything that calls uh, scrolling events or anything like that, it won't actually scroll your it won't change the focus of where you're actually viewing your tests so just an overall more pleasant experience it's kind of it's pretty too it looks it looks nice uh, like all of the tests are on the left hand side the iframes on the right looks pretty cool and the other thing i learned in this talk is that it's best to uh you know put a return before a pause test uh, most of the time it actually doesn't matter because the pause test is basically a waiter so it's just a waiter that doesn't call resolve maybe I think I think what it is is it, it returns a promise that uh, that never resolves, so it just always it just hangs the the promise. Chain. But you don't but you don't have to put return in it at all. You can just put pause test. You can put pause test, but I think synchronous behavior will still occur um, because it's it's only the async chain that's going to be halted. I think that's the reason. I, I was a little fuzzy on it, but I know that uh, both Katie and Taras both mentioned that you have to do a, a return, otherwise you'll end up with some aberrant behavior. Well, yeah, that, that's what I'm getting at is that. Um, you can use pause test without it, but if you don't uh, put it there, then if you have any synchronous code after it, uh, it, it's not like the the code halts at that pause test. It just continues running through your the entire function of your test. Uh, it just it never calls any of the promises for like inside of an and then, or if you mm. had said something like visit afterward, it just never it would never get those ones like stack up on this queue, but they would never get called. Right, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But if you had sync behavior right after the pause test, and you didn't return then it would hit that sync behavior, maybe like do something like 
make an assertion or I don't know, if, you, if you were manually clicking something or something like that, because I think the click helper itself is async, but if you were doing some manual stuff, you could you can get some behavior that'd be hard to debug. So it's probably better just to always put return yeah, um, and, and just leave it at that. You never have to think about it, even though m most of the time it might work, just put return in front of your pause test. Yeah, I haven't been using return and pause test and it works most of the time and I haven't really noticed any weird behavior, but it totally makes sense. As soon as I saw that, I was like, do you have to do a return? And sure enough, I think you do. Yeah. So definitely an interesting uh, talk and we will try to get a link uh, up to the Global Meetup videos when they go online, um, but we'll definitely have the slides for right now. So it's pretty cool. So Torin Billups gave uh, a talk at the Global Meetup as well. And it was, uh, as you'd expect, some test-driven live coding. And if, if you're familiar with Torin Billups, you probably know him uh, from his EmberConf talk where he did a live coding session that was just truly awesome, really, really fun. Uh, and in this, he basically walks through uh, a, a test driving uh, a, a new feature. I think it was adding a role to a user and making sure that the contracts are all there. But he does a really good job of explaining when you transition, like the thought process and the, and the mental models of how you transition from, you know, writing an acceptance test and you're like, oh, at this point, you know, now I need to go into this integration test. This is where my focus belongs. And like the thought process from when you need to switch to a different type of test and how you need to narrow your focus, and then how sometimes you have to leave uh, previous tests as they lead you to a spot. Uh, you have to leave them incomplete and then wait until you have more more uh, more covered. So it's a really interesting take on like just how you kind of the thought process, the 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 mental uh, path you have to take to uh, test drive an Ember app. And I thought it was really cool. It, it also seemed like most of the things that he was doing, if not all were driven directly as a result of a test that he had written, which is like the idea of a test drive. But it was like every single thing, he saw an error somewhere in his code that drove him to the next uh, the next implementation of a test. So I really enjoyed that. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. And he had, uh, he had a really funny uh, story about, like before he even started with the live coding, about how his mother was really excited to upgrade her iPhone to like iOS 7, I want to say. And she was super excited, but she didn't have Wi-Fi. So she had to come over to his house to, to do that. And she was super excited. And then like years later, or however long later, you know, he asked his mother, uh, are you excited about the new upgrade? She's like, no, there's like bugs. And uh, I, it was such a painful experience, the last upgrade. I'm not going to upgrade until a few months. And he basically was prefacing all of this by saying, you know, try to make your upgrade experience not that. <laughs> make it better, make it... Uh, you know, have more confidence, instill confidence in your users. Your users should be excited to uh, to upgrade your product. And it's a good thing to keep in mind that the reason we write tests and the reason we try to take the care that we do is to make, you know, the people that we write software for, to make them have a good experience and enjoy it. So it's not it's not just for its own sake. It's for this, per it's for this reason. And I'm sure everyone has their own story that they can remember that illustrates this point. But I thought that was a pretty cool. Um, but yeah, uh, his Vim skills are, are awesome. Uh, even with the, uh, the the small amount of screen real estate he had because of Big Marker, um, he was able to kind of fly through and show it uh, in a really nice way. Uh, I do have a couple of couple of things that were were interesting notes. Is that he does four spaces instead of two spaces, and some of his uh, functions had uh, snake case instead of camel case. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I want to. I want to talk about it when I have a face to face with Torn. At Emberconf, me and, her, me and him. 
th- there's probably some really thought out reason why it's four spaces. Like, yeah, uh, I do that whenever I'm doing a presentation because it's hard to see two spaces on a small real estate or something. I, I yeah, you're exactly right. I know that there's going to be a reason for it, but I, yeah. Anyways, because in uh, the EmberConf presentation, I could have swore that they were all camel cased. So maybe it's just <laughs> whatever code base he's working in. He 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 full he co- he goes over to the the style of that project. Yeah, I know after I go do Ruby for a little bit and then I come back, I have to like write a few snake cases and then go, oh, crap, and then like <laughs> fix them before I get in the habit. And then I go back to Ruby and I'm writing all of them like, you know, camel yeah. case and I'm like, oh, well, like it takes a second. Yeah, I do the exact same thing. And it's even worse when you go in between uh, CoffeeScript projects and JavaScript projects and Ruby projects because at any point in time, you're like, oh, no, what do I do? What do I have to do here? So it's uh it, yeah it's definitely it, it was definitely a great talk though and I think that the the message of how to TDD it was really well well done it was really well crafted so definitely check that out um, he did answer one of my questions at the end which was should you recommend that a new developer start with TDD in this fashion and he had a really um, great response to that and that was basically it kind of depends on uh, their their ability and you know, where they're starting from. If they're a brand new M developer, maybe different than if they are an experienced Ruby developer, et cetera, et cetera. And um, basically the end result was that TDD is good if, you know, once you get to that spot when when you're in that mindset. But if if you if you don't want to be overwhelmed, if you don't want to overwhelm somebody you're teaching, uh, maybe regression testing or, you know, some other form of of getting some security, some of that security from testing without the entire mental shift of doing uh, test driven. Uh, so I thought that was a really intelligent way to respond to that question because it really it really does depend. There's a lot of there's no like silver bullet on that. I think. Yeah, and sometimes it it really takes knowledge of how Ember you know wants to be structured before you can really write tests for things that are that are good. So if you if you if you can't predict what your next step's going to be, it's really hard to know which test you should be writing. And then uh, you know also time you know sometimes it's quicker just to to get it all out on you know like maybe you're. You have one component and it just does a lot of stuff, but it's easier to get it there, get it working, and maybe later extract a service and then add tests to the service than it is to say from a, from the beginning, like, I think this component's going to need a service and the service is going to do exactly this. Yeah, yeah. And here's, its, here, and here's its exact crystallized down API and all of that stuff. Like, test driving can certainly help you flesh those things out, but sometimes you don't know enough to, to do that, so. Yeah, and if, you, and if you go make the service and go make the test for the service before you even get to the component, and then you get to the component and you realize, you know what, this isn't actually the thing I wanted. Now you've done a lot of work up front. But, but the longer you, you do this, the less often that happens. And then you can start test driving it. But it is, yeah. in the, especially in the beginning when you don't really know how, how things fit together, it's hard to do that up front. I, it really has to do with your experience level and your comfort with what you're going to do. And also maybe even just how well you understand the problem you're trying to solve. Sometimes there's a problem that is you know, much easier than another problem. So yeah, definitely uh, definitely great uh, great talk. I really enjoyed that. I, wouldn't, I would expect nothing less uh, after his EmberConf presentation. So this is great. Definitely take a look at it. If you're looking to test, I would definitely recommend this for sure. Last week, Lauren Tan from Dockyard came out with another great blog post about the best practices uh, and functional programming in Ember. Yeah, I thought this was really cool as well. We kind of talk about uh, how functional programming works. And a lot of times when we talk about functional programming, we talk about it in very esoteric terms of like, oh, yeah, this needs to be pure or this this is uh, cause this is not this is dealing with mutable state or immutable state and we talk about these things in kind of uh, terms that are really hard to kind of ground back down into something that uh, you can process uh, 
Uh, and this blog post does a really great job of of taking those large esoteric terms and and crystallizing them into something that is really approachable. Uh, so in this case, I think she she talks mostly about um, kind of like how we can remove observers from Ember code. Uh, but through that, she walks us through things like uh, the render function being a pure function from React and that idea being stolen from React or taken from uh, from React. Uh, and then the equivalent of that in, in Emberland is kind of data downs actions up. It's that whole idea of like past closure actions to do mutations so that so that the deeper you go, the the less state changing will happen the lower you go. So you end up getting simpler things. And I thought that was really cool. Um, she also mentions like removing unnecessary side effects from from code every time you can, anytime you can, anytime you have a, an unnecessary side effect, you just need to find a way to remove it. And there's a couple ways to do it. One is the new component hooks. And then uh, the other is like closure actions. I'm sure there's many other strategies, but uh, those are the ones that I was thinking of. Also, every time she said side effect, uh, I, th I had to question, is an effect or an affect? Or is it, are you affecting something? Or are you affecting something? Yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on that one. It's like third grade problems. The, the one thing that uh, I actually get a little sad about is that this goes into uh, removing all computed properties too and like how to replace computed properties with like um, things that just do things at just the right time. Like when you know that it don't, the thing only changes in a component when the adder changes, then you can remove computed properties. And uh, computeds are always like, I don't know, they, they seem like the core of Ember to me. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, at the same time, like I, I do see some of the like, advantages of like using closure actions to do state mutation rather than relying on you know cache and validation of you know computed um so i'm kind of i'm kind of a mixed mixed feelings about it i agree like the core uh, ember computed stuff does kind of resonate with me more than uh some other things but i don't know it, yeah it seems like uh if you're writing a, a small enough component um which component should be small then you know you can probably get away with with this all you know most of the time, but um, I, I I feel like computers would still have a place somewhere, like maybe in a service or something. Yeah, absolutely. I, computers aren't going anywhere. Um, obviously, there's some you know getter setter stuff that you can do. Um, since IE8, it's IE8 support's gone, so you can you can kind of do a decorator, for instance. Will in 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 soon to be released versions of Ember decorators will allow you to do some optimizations around that stuff. So. I mean, there's going to be changes with Ember Computed no matter what you do. Yeah, but it's a good read. So, you know, check it out and uh, look forward to There's another blog post coming out, I think, next week, she was saying, uh, by another dockyarder. What do they call them? They call them yardies or Yard something. Yarders? Yard yeah. <laughs> Dockyarders? Doc I don't know. It's, it's Doug, so it's going to be cool. So Ember 2.3 beta was released, and with it, a bunch of really cool stuff. I know you want to talk about the visit API. Do you want to dive into that? I, there's some there's some uh, ownership API changes too, but I, I want to dive into that more deeply in another episode. Uh, but you want to talk about the visit API, so what's, what's new here? Yeah, so all the uh, work that Godfrey Chan and, uh, and others have been doing on the visit API, which uh, is kind of like a prerequisite for getting the you know fast food and everything, all that working, that's all been pushed into this beta, so now everybody can try it out. I'm sure there's still, still going to be some changes. Um, pro there's probably some things missing. The basic idea of it is the the visit API is what allows you to like tell Ember to like not boot just yet, and then you're going to call visit, and you're going to get an app instance, uh, and that's going to let you do some things like maybe a test runner will use this. So the thing we were talking about with a, a test runner like like Katie's thing, where it's got, and I was saying I wanted iframes that are all running a separate test. This is like how you would do that. 
So um, it's a, it seems like it's going to be really useful for that, for other things too, like obviously fast boot. There's probably ways to get this to, to work with like things like Ember Islands, where you want to render just a little Ember application, maybe even inside of another Ember application. So it'll be, it'll be really useful. That sounds really neat. I know that the, the listed application on the Ember.js blog is basically all around fast boot. So that's going to be cool. Well, yeah, I feel like uh, all of them would have to basically uh, do the same thing where you basically say auto boot false and it causes it to like not not finish starting up because that would like, I think by default, it just takes over body. So this te- lets you tell it, I want you to visit, you know, a certain route of that Ember application um, at and, and render into a certain root element. So that, you know, that's that's where they're useful in things like islands, um, obviously fast boot uh, because you have to stop it you know, rendering and then tell it, you know, like do things like replace the document with simple DOM. Yeah, definitely. But I'm really excited about all the, uh, all the upcoming changes and I'm really eager to kind of like try to pull this in and see if we can't get fast boot running. I know you and I have been kind of dabbling with it. Um, every, every chance we get on Ember weekend. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to move again to like another provider. Cause we were on, we were on what, um, Firebase first and then div shot and, and now shot on S3. S3. S3 has some uh, some great stuff about it. Basically, being all of our all of our asset management is in the same place, but www it doesn't work. So, eh. yeah. So we would have to. I mean, there's some weird things we'd have to do to get www to work. It's like uh, we have to basically duplicate the bucket and deploy to do two different places. And I'm just like, oh, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Ember Weekend. If you'd like to follow along, visit us at emberweekend.com, or you can find us at Ember Weekend, all one word, on Twitter, or subscribe via RSS. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we'll see you next weekend.